yesterday I went out to dinner with Luis and his dad and Luis wanted to take his dad to the dive bar that we go to. Nice. And we had like a really nice bottle of wine at dinner and at the dive bar. No, at the, at dinner. And uh, they gave us some sort of like amaretto shot or whatever it is. And then I just got, I proceeded to get trashed at the bar. I got fucking destroyed in front of Luis's dad. I, I bought so many shots and beers and then the bartender, she just charged me $28. And I was like, that's, that's so nice. Cause it it was for New York too, dude. Yeah. She's, I was like, you sure? Like I actually, the last thing I remember doing was looking at her going like, you sure? And she's like, (laughs) that's really what it sounded like. And she was just, I'm a nice person. So I tipped her $10. Nice. On a $28 bill. That's like 50 per no, that's like, what is that? 33%. Now, I would argue, I feel like a typical good bar patron rule of thumb is sometimes tipping drink for drink. So if you got above 10 drinks, you technically would have under tipped. But wait, you do 15% per drink? No, no, like a dollar a drink. But that's what my friend did in college. So like, that's also kind of a cheat mentality. That's, that's a fucking awful idea. It's like, it's, that's, that's like, if so that's, I think that's what he did. If he was like, if he didn't have a tab. So like going up and like ordering a drink, oh, then okay. he'd throw like a dollar down. Then he goes back that's, up again. He throws $2 down. That's a terrible idea because one, you might tip so much. And right. two, I mean, <laughs> I, guess, enough. I, I guess it's kind of smart because it, you know, it's essentially like if you order like a $12 drink, then you're just treating it like it's $13. So actually mm-hmm. it's not terrible because you're tipping less, but it's also stupid because if I like get hammered, like last night, I wasn't counting them anymore. So at some point I'd be like, oh, I've got 35 fucking beers. Here's $35. I mean, then- hey, if you're even able to to keep track of that and, and tip well while being hammered, then good on you. I'm going to start bringing a Sharpie with me every time I go out and I'm going to tally it on my arm. I know, like, I've heard of someone doing that before. I think that's kind of a cool idea. Well, as a terrible segue, you should bring a big red Sharpie. Now was, let's talk about the big red one. That was... 1980 war film. <laughs> that was probably one of the worst segues I've ever heard. I can come up with worse. I guess I don't know. We could start. We could start the way we started the last time we did this, just about you know, the picture, story, narrative, all the the stuff. But I also think, just context-wise, it might be interesting to say why I picked this movie. Um, yeah, I this Sam Fuller really film. Really wanted to know that. Weird, right? Because okay, so I guess the backstory. It's slightly a bit of a. Well, wait play. a minute. Should is my question why this film or why Sam Fuller? I guess, all right, so- Or why this film of Sam Fuller's? Okay, so actually all three are great questions. Yeah, let's, nice let's little just go story. one at a time. Um, so this film, because it's the most famous Sam Fuller film, the why, why Sam Fuller is because I was in Amsterdam last week and I was at a bar and I was getting drunk just as we started this conversation. Uh, our viewers are going to have a bad opinion of me by the end of this. Um, viewers should just drink with us. I, I stop drinking every time I act and then I, I drink heavily when I'm not acting. So it turns out I'm drinking a lot more than I'm not. <laughs> and um, at least you have an excuse. I don't have one. Basically. Um, so this guy that I met there, this guy from LA actually, which is very weird because I had just oh. come back from LA and he was at this bar and he goes to Amsterdam quite often. And it's because He's Canadian. He told me this story about how his grandfather was in the Canadian Airborne and he got shot down in the Netherlands and was hidden by a family in Utrecht during World War II. And he would come back to the Netherlands quite often with his grandfather. And he would always go back to the family that hid him, protected him, and would tell him that this is your Oma, this is your Opa, which in Dutch means this is your grandfather, this is your grandmother. Like, as in, like, these are your Dutch grandparents. So they weren't Dutch they have a connection to Holland because of that story. Hmm. Very, very nice guy. He had a it's lot a nice of, it is a very nice story. He had a lot of things to say 
that I can't all verify. He, very LA in that fact, uh, that nature. Um, like you know, things to he, say, like on a history standpoint. No, that he like he he's a bodyguard, but he's bodyguarded for some of like the biggest people in Hollywood. Like how he used to be in a writers group with with uh, Quentin Tarantino in the '90s, and just things like that. Where you, like you start you start hearing the name dropping. Very very nice guy, but it was just clear name dropping, and it's hard to to uh, verify any of that stuff. So. He was telling me this story and we were talking about films and he eventually brought up Sam Fuller because he's, that's his favorite filmmaker. Uh, his son's name is Griffin after private Griff. Mm. And it's very rare that I learn of a director that I haven't seen a single piece of work from, you know, maybe that's, that's a little bit pretentious to say that's not true. There's a lot of directors that I haven't seen their yeah. stuff, but it's it's rare that someone is like so famous. This is considered to be like one of the greatest movies ever made. We can get into that when we talk about it. But yeah. And Sam Fuller is supposed to be one of the he's supposed to be one of the greatest directors of that era in Hollywood from like the 50s up until the like the 80s and 90s. So it's rare that I don't know the name. Now, like let's put it that way. It's rare that I never heard of Sam Fuller. And he was telling me, you have to watch Sam Fuller. And so I was thinking about how we haven't done our podcast in a while. We were very busy with Play It By Ear. This is a long-winded sort of uh, tangent Play It By Ear podcast because I met this guy talking about very similar Play It By Ear things. And I don't know. I thought it'd be kind of fun. Like, let's do something that neither of us have ever seen. I've never heard of him. See what we think. I have my opinions on whether or not I enjoyed it. But that's that's the backstory. He actually he gave me a card and his card was a picture of Venice and Amsterdam split in the middle with a girl biking down the middle because he's so oh, that's that different. guy. You sent that, me that. Yeah, that guy. So literally a play by year related thing. I sent that to Brian and the other um our other collaborators on play it by year and they were worried that someone else was making the exact same story. <laughs> yeah, that's the same guy. I have no all, idea what his name is anymore. Circle. Isn't it California Dream? That's, that's on the card. That's on, I have to look at the card again. I, I have no idea what his name is, but he's a really nice guy and he really wants to see play it by ear. And yet another person that I've met that somehow has some sort of connection to this story that we decided to put together. So that's not related to this podcast, but it was really funny that this yeah. random fucking Canadian guy was like, that sounds like, something I'd love to see. I was like, oh, that's awesome, man. Cool. Yeah, tell him uh, Sam Fuller came back from the dead to direct it. Yeah, <laughs> man. He was saying some wild shit that night that I can't say on the podcast. I'll tell you afterwards. Got, oh, all right. Got fucking weird. <laughs> Subscribe to our OnlyFans <laughs> channel to hear the explicit tales that Dylan tells. I don't even think I would say it on there. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the film. You, want, you oh. go first. Uh, well, fun fact that I just found. Um, since I'm, I live in Massachusetts now for listeners, Sam Fuller is from Worcester, Massachusetts. From Worcester? Worcester. You mean Worcester? Worcester. Worcester. Worcester? You mean uh, Worcester, sir, sir, us? What was that? Worcester, sir, sir. But yeah. <clears throat> so I'm basically him. I'm like the new version of him because now I'm near Worcester. Kind of. I'm an hour away. I don't know if you want to be the new Sam Fuller. Well, if it means I'll be legendary after my time and uh, no one will agree after, then yeah, I'll take it. But I don't know. I thought this movie was fine. It was just, it honestly, it was just a, it was a war movie. Like that's literally, you know, like there's a lot of war movies out there and there's a lot and there's a very small few that are like special. They tell like an interesting tale or they, show some sort of like overcoming that was sort of rare like hacksaw ridge or like saving private ryan or at least a movie that displayed war in a really like cruel and real manner like saving private ryan and a few others and i guess um full metal full metal jacket but i i view that movie as like the the boot camp scene our part is the best part and then it kind of just it's a little long-winded after that but this movie i don't know the the band of brothers that we follow it's just they're all so apart from each other they just happen to be together that's the, that's kind of the way i took it there's no like 
I didn't feel like there was that much of a bond. It just kind of felt like the, I was watching people serve their time, <clears throat> cross a few borders, and then, you know, D-Day happened and they had no part in it. It was very episodic, wasn't it? Yeah, there there was sometimes I was like really tired towards the end of it. I didn't fall asleep or anything like that. But it was like one point where I was like, it was like, you know, like when you're watching something, you have like, and you're getting tired, you have those points where like, you kind of black out what happened because you were so tired or like, you're kind of dozing off, but you didn't doze off. Then you kind of be like, whoa, I got to wake up. Mm-hmm. So that happened when they went from, um, I think when they went from Italy to France and I was like, how the hell they end up in France already? But then I realized like every time they crossed the border, it would just be a narration and they're in the new country. So it's not like I really missed the pivotal moment that brought them there. Yeah, it's kind of weird. I don't know. I don't know if I've ever seen another war movie that's that's been so episodic. Like a lot of them feel like I'm not an expert in war films. Actually, I think it would have been kind of cool to have Simon on this one because Simon's like favorite genre is war films is like his dream is to make this movie about a Korean battle that no one talks about that he knows a lot about, but he loves war films. And that's so like not Simon, like in terms of just what he's currently like, like, you know, what his favorite, you know, what his favorite movie is. Yeah. Yeah. I know it's apocalypse now. Yeah. He's another great movie. He's, he's huge into that stuff. I've just never been a big fan. In fact, I don't like apocalypse now. I did (gasps) see it. Yeah. But I, I saw the director's like, mini series or whatever that cuts called the yeah, one that's the like four hour cut i watched yeah, that too fuck. i i said to myself i was watching it like i was working from home at like one of my first jobs and i was just like binging movies while working because like my job was so mindless and i was like well if i'm gonna watch it i might as well go all in right and watch the four hour cut so long but i feel like even that movie has a direct story. Like it might go off into some weird territories, especially. Well, it's also based on a book, Heart of Darkness. You're talking about Apocalypse Now, right? Yeah. Yeah. But this one, this one is super different because it felt more like a, a character study almost than an actual story. Like we just track them from battle to battle. And really what I guess we come away from is yeah, they're not that different from the Germans who survive. Like, it, I don't know. Maybe we're desensitized because war movies nowadays, like, it feels almost like they need to have a certain spectacle to them, whereas this one didn't feel that way. Like, it it had a message. Jesus Christ. What? Sorry, Oliver's playing with my headphone cord. Oh, no. <laughs> that's okay. Um, most not of them, a good PA. Most of them, you know, feel like they have to have a spectacle to them. And they also like are specific on a single mission, at least the ones that I like. Maybe I'm wrong about this, too. So, I mean, anyone who knows more about war films could probably tell me off. But this one felt like, yeah, OK, what's the message that um, he shouldn't have killed that soldier in World War One? And he now did the right thing. Like, I don't know. It just felt a little bit. It felt like it fell flat, like the lessons that were learned. And. Yeah. Even 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 Griff's story of like I won't kill a man and it takes him until like liberating the concentration camp to see the evil of them and he just like unloads a chamber into that one German. It's just very like, slowly. It's just very it's like he got a taste for blood and then he couldn't stop, but that was the only enemy around. It's very yeah. Narratively, I'm not really sure how much I enjoyed the film because I just didn't think it felt too interesting. It felt kind of dated, almost like it was like a mumblecore war movie, sort of. Right. It felt that way. It felt kind of like it was like just languidly moving through the war. Like, here's another ship. And now we're going here and here's another ship. And now we're going there. And they're trying to show this like band of brothers. But I can't tell if it's a movie that feels like it's dated or that better things just were made later. Like, for instance, I feel the way more brotherhood in Apocalypse Now. I feel more brotherhood in Fury, that movie with Brad Pitt. And I didn't even like that movie. You know, did we do you think that this movie's dated or do you think that it's actually that better things just came along? You know, like this wasn't actually that good and people like overhyped it. Is this a Shakespeare in love sort of thing? 
Um, well, I mean, I guess it's kind of a yes and no because Full Metal Jacket and Apocalypse Now came out a year plus before these movies, and those are critically acclaimed war movies. Um, so it's, it's but not, no, no so, but make no mistake, this is critically acclaimed. This is like, yeah, this. no, I know. But I mean, like, and there's, but they're still talked about type deal. Like, they're still hailed as like some of the best movies you have to watch. I don't, I've never seen this movie on one of those lists. Not that that means you shouldn't watch it, but just, you know, I've never heard of this till you brought it up. And it feels like one that actually had a lot of significance when it came out, but over the years just kind of fell through the cracks and like nobody like talks about it anymore as like something that's yeah. outlasted time, right? Yeah, I mean, I guess so. But but what I'm trying to say is like two war movies that came out a year or two before this are still like to this day, like hailed and 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 talked about. So it's like prior to this movie coming out, people technically in a way got the cream of the crop of war movies, at least for that for those these past decades, the 70s and 80s. So I could see someone going to see this. And if they're not a big war film fan, probably walk away and be like, OK, but. I also wonder if this is, I was trying to think about the best way to describe this film besides Mumblecore war film, but I feel like it's one of those movies that like your dad, not like you like the general, your dad would, would have watched growing up like in the eighties, like when he was like a teenager in his twenties and like thought it was a really cool movie and we'll throw it on the TV like in the afternoon because it's on and he like likes it, but he doesn't watch it that much. He's like, oh, you got to watch this movie. And it's like one of those where like, you're probably right. Like if you grew up with it and watched it, you probably still think it's a sick movie, even if you're not, you don't resonate with it that much anymore. That's it's an like interesting a, point. Like I'm a TNT movie that just plays every Thursday at three and you just throw it on because you know you liked it when you first saw it. I think, I think there's... There's also something that we're doing different with this season that I'm not sure I, I love just yet is we're only doing one film. And I agree, like, because we're busy. We got shit to do, so we can only do one film. But it doesn't really give us a good sense of who a director is. And especially when we're doing a new director, like someone that neither of us have ever seen a piece of his work, it's really difficult to judge what you're going to see by just one film. Like, I give this example all the time and I talk about him in every, almost every podcast, but the first time I saw a Tarantino film, when I saw Inglorious Bastards, I, I fucking hated it, but it's because I, I expected to go in there and see another Saving Private Ryan. That's what I wanted. And I didn't get that. You got this long talky, had to read it. I just didn't appreciate it for what it was. It took me a bunch of times watching Tarantino movies to see what he was doing with the films. And then retrospectively, I loved it. You know what I mean? And that's kind of the same thing here. Like I I'm just reading a little bit up on the Wikipedia of this film and it's listed as in empire magazines is in the top 500 films of all time list. So nothing crazy, crazy, but it like the, who's that Robert Eberts or what is his name? Yeah. Robert Ebert. Yeah. Roger he, Ebert. Roger Ebert. He says that this movie is still like a B movie and still sort of like a, hard-boiled kind of action film of like Sam Fuller's taste. Like I, I, I'll just read the quote a little bit. He says like, while this is an expensive epic, he hasn't fallen to the temptations of the epic form. So I don't think Fuller's known for doing these types of movies, which means if we went to go watch his other stuff and see like what his actual work looks like, it might make us look at this piece a little bit differently because we can come in knowing what we expect to expect. Right. Hmm. Um, that's one thing I've been kind of thinking about, but it, yeah, it kind of just feels like, like you said, like a film from a bygone era that if you were growing up with it, you probably would have loved it. And if you didn't see it early enough, then it probably would fall flat for you. But there's a lot of movies like that, that me and you take for granted because we grew up with them. So we just love them so much. Like I've watched Jaws with people who have never seen it and they don't think it's that great. And I'm like, how can you not think this is great? But it's just because it doesn't have that sort of, nostalgia factor for them you know when you're a kid you everything is so brand new i mean at this point we've seen enough war movies and enough you know thought-provoking war movies that this just doesn't feel like it sticks out next to the ones that are clearly modernized technologically wise not story-wise or like just more interesting like the the d-day scene in this isn't even closely it, you, it's incomparable to the 
the Saving Private Ryan scene. Mm-hmm. It, yeah, it just, yeah, that that whole thing felt so, it was so anticlimactic. Like I, I couldn't believe it. It like ended as like, oh, we're done. Okay. Yeah. It doesn't really, it doesn't really give you the sense of what D-Day would feel like. And maybe at the time people thought this movie would do that or did do that, but then you get fucking Saving Private Ryan 17 years later. And it's so it's it's an it's an assault on all your senses in that yeah. opening scene. Like everything. What I can't imagine watching that in movie theaters for the first time. It would just have blown me away. Actually, that's a great idea. We should go see that movie in theaters because I've never seen it in theaters. Yeah, that'd be sick. That'd be sick. Yeah. I can't imagine that, man. Could you imagine that scene in this like the opening scene? And the crazy thing to me is I want to know if newer generations watching war movies look at Saving Private Ryan and think that that falls flat. Like, do we have sort of that nostalgia factor for that film or does it really hold up? My argument would be that it holds up. I mean, I never saw, I didn't see the movie in full until probably three or four years ago. Uh, I've only seen the first scene and I saw that like in a high school class. I don't even know why I was shown it probably for history. Mm -hmm. uh, but that scene like blew me away. But then I just never watched it. And I just never took the time to watch the full thing. And then I finally did. And uh, yeah, uh, you know, a w war movies aren't my favorite genre. Uh, but the ones that are good really stick out to me. And that one really, really stuck with me. I still think about it a lot just because of how, I don't know, it's, I think I still think it's one of the more accurate depictions of war in terms of just Absolutely. the brutality of it. And I, th I think this movie in certain aspects shows that as well. Like, especially that scene where they keep trying to launch the, um, the explosives to perform an exit under the barbed wire. And he literally had to go through nine different people just to touch the barbed wire. Like I did like he that was, scene. And he I was did, calling I did them out. It. Like they were just like, you know, numbered, like numbers, like a deli, like a deli guy calling number orders. And like, that's just crazy. And people were in fear waiting for their number to be called. I did actually really like that. I did enjoy the that scene, even though I, I just said the whole D-Day thing fell flat next to Saving Private Ryan. I did really enjoy the, yeah, the reduction of a man to a number because that's how mm -hmm. they viewed men. And the, the whole conversation about replacements, even calling them replacements, such an interesting thing to me to like, you had your core group that just couldn't die and they just kept getting more people that they just didn't give a shit about. Mm -hmm. There was one scene that blew me away as far as like, I didn't find it too gory or too difficult to watch, nothing like that. You know, again, it's things just kind of update every year. You have to go harder and harder and harder. Like if you put Saving Private Ryan next to Hacksaw Ridge, it's Hacksaw Ridge is fucking brutal, dude. Hacksaw Ridge is insane, like with the blood and gore and everything. It's actually, if you ask me, this is another tangent, but I think it's at the point where it's getting comical. Like I feel like there was a there is a there was a really good cusp for films that like where they've held up and kind of like uh, lasted longer than more, most people like ever expected them to. And that cusp, I think, is the birth of the internet. There was a beautiful time period from like the home internet, like the availability for more visual effects because people could afford them in like post houses, the digitalization of editing all around 95. 95 until like the 2000s, like 2005, when it was still limited enough where you couldn't do it all digital. I think there's a lot of movies in that time frame that like fucking last really long. Saving Private Ryan, uh, Jurassic Park, which came out a little earlier than that, 93. Terminator 2, which is fucking crazy that that holds up. And then obviously Lord of the Rings. Yep. Lord of the Rings, which is just, it, you watch it today and you're like, this was made at the perfect time. If it was made later, it would look more like The Hobbit. If it was made earlier, you wouldn't have all the beautiful special effects. Um, and if you, watch, if you watch like Hacksaw Ridge, like it's getting fucking crazy. Like it's, <laughs> it's getting so, like it almost starts to look kind of funny. And like Saving Private Ryan, there's no laughing moments for me. Like it, it looks just fucking grossly real. Um, oh, and I guess the tale about a medic, you, uh, he's a medic, right? Yeah. Yeah. He's Max a medic. You kind of have to show the gore because he's got to patch these boys up. Yeah. No, I don't even mean it that way. I mean it more like, okay, if you shoot someone in the head, if you watch like a seventies film where someone gets shot in the head, 
there's no blood spewing out because like they just didn't have the availability to do it or they didn't think about doing it or the the i don't know code of conducts and regulations i forget the the office that did all the censorship oh, yeah the, I, know, yeah. I know you're talking about yeah the one that they had to follow for the longest time didn't allow them then later they start adding that stuff in right so they add in like the exploding guts into a shot but there's only so far you can take that before it's no longer accurately representing what would happen if you shot someone in the head so my point being is 97's saving private ryan i think accurately shows you what it would look like to see a man blown in half i think that hacksaw ridge does it to where it's like more gory than it would actually be if you saw it in in like in almost a tropic thundery way where like they stab <laughs> so i was just jay, thinking yeah jet stab jay burishell and yeah, there's just guts, guts everywhere <laughs> and you're like you're like this is not what that would look like it'd be gross but it wouldn't just be like intestines falling out like that's almost horror level horror movie level like gore yeah. which is funny that's that's actually hilarious. That's a really funny idea for a movie where like they just take it to the nth level because they can't up they can't go any further anymore. So they just keep making it more and more gory. Like every single strike that someone gets is like actually detrimental. Like someone gets like stabbed and all their guts fall and the fight ends because like what are they gonna do? Their guts are literally hanging out of themselves. They can't carry on with the fight. Yeah, that's that's. I'm thinking of like Leo DiCaprio in the departed and just like his brains blowing like just like just like an insane amount his of actual like, his full brain just yeah <laughs> oh again way off topic i'm so sorry but so what were you talking about before this like this movie feels more like it was kind of never built to last if you ask, ask me like there's very few movies at that time frame like old ones that i think do stand the test of time and it's normally when there's like something special about that movie that wouldn't be well done today or um, or their style is so distinct. I, I kind of want to almost relate it to Once Upon a Time in America. That movie felt dated. Like, make no mistake, it felt old. But it was the fact that it was old that it made it so special, I actually think. Like, he... You you don't know Sergio Leone as well as I do. I, you don't, you've never seen the, the Dollar Trilogy, right? Or only one of them. It's the first one. Like those movies feel like the six from the sixties. That's what a sixties movie to me feels like. Once upon a time in America felt like a sixties movie, but it was made in 84. So it wasn't even that fucking old. And I kind of like that. Like, I think that added to making that movie great. This one, this war movie, it just made it feel outdated. Didn't feel like it held up. Yeah. I would say <clears throat> I thought about, the, I thought about this quite a, quite a bit. If this movie got made around the time of Saving Private Ryan, or even like most recently, like like a couple of years ago or something, I I don't think modern technology would have saved the story. I think it, at that point we would see the trailer for it and think, oh, it's just another war film. But then again, Hacksaw Ridge, I could be wrong uh, because it's only the most recent one that I've truly seen. I guess I saw Act of Valor, but. I don't count that. Um, that's the one where like the Navy SEALs like played themselves. Clint Eastwood directed it. Oh, I turned that on and their acting was so bad. I turned it right <laughs> off. Um, anyway, so, oh, wait, you might. There's actually two movies like that. But that's besides the point. It's the anyway. one where on the where they're on the train, right? Or no, 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 no. not no. I know what you're. I haven't seen that, but I know what you're talking about. Oh, it's dude, that, that was movie. terrible. That was. I don't remember the name. Maybe was... that. Maybe that's the Clint Eastwood one. Actor Valor maybe is not Clint Eastwood. I thought he did both, but I could be wrong. I can but, Google it really quick. Continue okay. your point. Who cares? Um, but yeah, like Hacksaw Ridge is the last like recent war movie I saw that actually stood out to me, and like all the other ones I've either seen or seen trailers for. I just look. Like, eh, it's just like, it's just another war movie. Like, what's the big deal? And I think this is just one of those movies where even if no matter the, the, the director behind it, I, you know, same story, same style, a little more modern technology, maybe better, better special effects for more gruesome like fight scenes and battles. I think it just kind of would have been the same. Just whatever. It was like your typical like warm movie that didn't really resonate with you. 
Yeah, it might just be that it's not really the genre for me. And probably, I mean, it sounds like not really the genre for you. In hindsight, I would have probably preferred watching another one of Sam Fuller's films in order to kind of get the vibe. Because I don't think he did another war movie. It wasn't like he was, you know. This was his actual, his like technically his comeback film. He stopped filmmaking in like the 70s. And then 1980, he made this. Well, that's the other thing that I was trying to say was I feel like this movie feels more like a 50s or 60s film to me. It didn't really feel like an 80s movie. It's not like, sorry for the sirens, folks. I live in New York. Um, it's not really like 80s movies weren't action-packed. Like, dude, this was already after Jaws. Anything after Jaws is fair game for decent blockbusters. Like, we had Indiana Jones at this point. We had Star Wars at this point. Like, there was room to make a exciting war movie, and I'm sure you could find war movies from the 80s that are fucking great. You know, like, oh, mm-hmm. Platoon. Platoon is 85. Oh, yeah. I always forget about Platoon. That is a great a fucking, movie. Fucking great movie. And that's 85. And it's exciting and exhilarating. And like, so this movie, again, why I was comparing it to Once Upon a Time in America, it felt like from a director of the 50s. It felt like a director who was trying to make a movie that he's used to making in a world that had moved into more action-packed blockbusters. And unlike Leone with Once Upon a Time in America, that I think added to the charm for Leone's film. There was something beautiful about how this movie really felt older than The Godfather in some respects, even though it was made later. This didn't do the same thing, but that's because part of a war movie needs to be exciting and it felt a little uneventful. I know we see- well, even, like even the main character is uneventful. He's just narrating. He's some book writer and he's narrating this story. And, and I guess apparently this is considered semi-autobiographical. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if that's from, I think it's Zab. He's the writer. His point of view, like it's his book or something like that, or just his story. But like his character does nothing but smoke cigars and narrate. Yeah, it's true. So it's just like, he's just, you're getting his observations of when he served in the war under this like squad this first squad and does that really make for when nothing that special happens with the exception of them helping a french woman give birth and a few other moments like does that really make for that remarkable of a story like it kind of with the exception of a couple points it could be almost anyone's account of wartime yeah you're right We're talking a lot about the narrative now. I, I do want to kind of move into maybe maybe we could uh, move into some of the, like the shots or some of the scenes that we enjoyed, like certain things that like elements of it that were actually kind of cool and redeemable. Um, yeah. Well, we, uh, my favorite scene is I just mentioned it is when the whole squad is helping this French woman give birth, and they got her like they got her legs hanging up by um, by, by gun belts, belts gun yeah. belts, and like. Um, he's using condoms as the glove and they wrapped like cheat like a, a wrapper around like a block of cheese as like his surgical mask <laughs> and it's just like the most diy like what army is, medical birth giving and what's I've the ever ge- seen. what's the general say in order to oh, let her pussy, know say <laughs> i don't know if that's actually how you say push in french i'll take his word for it <laughs> I was, that was well she knew what to do he said it and she she pussied <laughs> i wonder if that part's autobiographical that's that'd be interesting yeah but that was agent that was really cool that was like the moment where the first squad like they're sort of like i guess brotherhood and their like camaraderie actually shined is in that scene how they all just helped what do you, this one task what about that scene just like Let's get like, you know, you know, we said this season would be a little bit more critiquing, not just talking about whether or not we liked films or not. So why don't we break down a little bit of the mise en scene of that scene? Like, what did you enjoy about the shot, the shots or how it was angled or framed and, you know, what stood out? Well, you did mention a little bit like to all the props and stuff, like it was just like a real makeshift uh, surgical yeah. kit. Yeah, it just the the way that they uh, they filmed that scene and the. And the actions that followed it. Oh, hello, Oliver. Um, excuse you. Um, <clears throat> where was I going with that? Oh, it it's like you 
you were there the way that the way that you watch them grab the condoms and they grab like the the cheese and rip the, the casing off and yeah just all the materials and uh all the different angles going through each crew member it just kind of felt like you were part of them and part of that scenario and just like um and the way that they positioned the camera as she was giving birth like you're as, as if you were kind of like in a way shut the hell up um you were like the husband on her bedside waiting for the doctors to finish like the your, your cat is gonna you're making great points but your cat is gonna just destroy it for I the know. listeners Dude, i don't know what his problem is <laughs> pause all right for those the listeners out there brian is uh taking a second to get his cat and hold him because he's got the craziest cat i've ever seen in my life i tried that is the craziest cat i've ever seen in my life yeah i don't know what he wants that's a really interesting point i would want to go back and rewatch that scene though because that's that's kind of cool if that's like the intention or not even the intention just the way you looked at it that you're like the husband on the bedside very cool framing for that now he's on a scratching post it's okay yeah it's okay um <laughs> he okay <laughs> he's fucking going nuts all right it's low budget podcast i got a pizza place downstairs you got a cat in your house um no so yeah, i think i don't know i just uh yeah i thought that was a really well done scene <laughs> it is a really nice scene i, I almost want to go back and rewatch it based off you talking about it i don't know why I, I do really like the scene with the, with the numbers, like calling out the numbers. That was a good one. And one of the few that I like really enjoyed. And I think, I think what I really liked about that one is when he called out Griff's number and he just didn't give a shit. Yep. I think that that story-wise, narrative-wise, the shots were pretty cool because it was the same angle the whole time. And that you know you would see the guys inch closer and closer and closer but what i really liked about that scene was just how it didn't matter like core group or replacements were at war you're a number and he called griff out and you can interpret whether or not you like the general wanted him to make it more than anybody else yeah but but he it, you know it didn't matter Griff went down, number 10. Let's fucking go. You know? I did think it was kind of fucked up that they all got the later numbers and the replacements got the the early numbers. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, the expendables um, can go. The other the other that's just, scene, that's just good management right there. Get rid of the weaker ones first. The other scene that I really liked, I really, I really enjoyed the dinner from the from the the Italian ladies. Oh, yeah. I gotta when say, they, yeah. When they free them. Yeah. Well, I thought yeah. I thought it was beautiful framing, beautiful scene. And I have to give this film kind of credit with um, one thing that I haven't seen in a lot of war movies, maybe in Apocalypse Now a little bit, but but Vietnam was a totally different war. So let's narrow it down to World War II films. It showed the daily life of people living through World War II which was weird, you know, like normally World War II films kind of show you how like these people are just like, it's disheveled, like people don't live, you know, when war is breaking out like that. But that's just not true. Like people still have to do things throughout war. They still have to work, mm -hmm. you know? And I think, well, that's, I think that's what makes this film in a, in a way stand out compared to films like Saving Private Ryan or other World War II films is like, they didn't take place technically in the more popular locations or where the popular battles took place. These were more um, inland, you know, they were in Italy, yeah. which I know, I know Italy was a major factor in the war, but like how many famous battles of World War II were in Italy? Not many. Not you know, that so I know they were in the countryside of Italy. They were in Belgium, you yeah. know, they were in France. Um, so, so yeah, that, I think that's just what makes, that's what makes this film special. It's like, yeah. The different the not as popular locations to depict and like you just said showing off like everyday life i think as far as like the mise-en-scene or the story like the the you know how it was shot and what i enjoyed about the editing and the shooting was there's something sort of serene 
about old films to me and their slow paces. Like this was a very slow pace. And I sometimes enjoy that because it feels very calming. It is a weird word to use with a war movie, but I mean, like there's something kind of nice that it's taking its time and I have to give it kind of credit doing that. It, you know, yeah. so much, so much that we watch nowadays is a lot of eye candy. So certain things in this movie, when it's, when it's really slow, is just a little bit more, you know, I like that it takes its time. It's not looking at massive set pieces in order to be a good film. Right. You know, again, Saving Private Ryan is a great film, but it's a huge set piece. There's literally soundbite material. There's it, it, it's the early stages of TikTok, man. It's like that. <laughs> It is. It's like those scenes that you can watch standalone because that movie is so like so much just like set pieces that that's all you need to see in order to like get your fix. There's a mm -hmm. lot of movies that do that. That's like the blockbuster system, you know, and I I like that. I like that old movies sometimes don't do that. It's taking its time. I enjoyed the whole. The, the best set piece for me was the exchange between the soldiers and the boy to bury his mother if they would lead them to the gun. And I loved that whole scene all the way up to the gun, to the, to the food, to keeping your promises. And then the flower, um, yeah, helmet. flower helmet and it felt slow and it took its time and it wasn't concerned with like, with too much action going on. There was a beautiful shot of them, like, a pro, like climbing up these stairs. And again, like yep. it's just a single shot for a long time, watching each one climb up the stair. And I liked the framing at the bottom angle of it. Yeah, I don't know. It's like, this is a weird comparison, but it feels like, um, who's that guy who made Wild Wild West? The one that Kevin Smith talks about. <laughs> oh, um, John. No. Fuck. Um, I, all I remember is Bradley Cooper. Oh, John. No, no. It's John something, but Bradley Cooper plays him and licorice pizza what the fuck's his name oh I, it's on the top of my yep. john peters john peters john peters john peters oh my roommate's home for the listeners yep hi sweetheart welcome home um john peters it felt like if john peters had to do uh like had said let's make it more exciting <laughs> let's make it let's make it more exciting we need like we, they got to climb up the goddamn stairs let's make them climb up the stairs and have to fight like six polar bears in order to make it more exciting and i don't know yeah, i would love that there's something about that that's just like really nice to me that you don't really um you don't feel too concerned with doing i don't know like too much in there to give you eye candy and instead just concern yourself overall with like the story and like no matter how like small or short that story is right um yeah, so. yeah i mean it's a movie that's not trying to impress anyone you know no. it doesn't have a big dick to swing yeah. it's um you know it's just i guess in a way it's an honest film mm -hmm. but i i think from doing some some light reading on mr sam fuller um he did a lot of western films so i feel like his pacing is that of his earlier work of doing the Western films that he did it, that like the slow pacing and like the slow action, such as like climbing up those stairs reminds me of something I'd catch in an old Western. Um, yeah, I think that I'd be interested in seeing some of those old Westerns. I think this is also my first Lee Marvin film. And I was also laughing a little bit at how like, it seems like Lee Marvin is just famous for doing Westerns or World War II movies, which seems to be a bunch of actors from that time period like they do two things they do westerns or world war ii movies like charles bronson or the dirty dozen the magnificent <laughs> seven like it's just you know that's funny uh, yeah i'm on his imdb page right now and everything he's known for just old western films dirty dozen paint your wagon cat blue the professionals i think the two things that i didn't get to mention yet i remember was that scene that I thought was gorier than I expected in a movie this like slow paced was when that guy's nut got shot, like exploded off and the general just like grabbed his nut and threw it. He's like, that's why they give you two. And you're like, I say, oh my God. And then the other one was. Uh, that's true though. That's scientifically proven in case one gets blown up. You have another one. That's why they're. Sometimes I can't tell when you're joking. <laughs> it's in my, it's in my notes. <laughs> the home to hate the. 
uh, broek uh, opgegeten. En de kat heeft de deur geopend. What did you text or something? That was oh. so funny. The, the dog... <laughs> The dog ate the pants and the cat opened. So the cat opened the door. <laughs> <laughs> too good. Too good. Um, I think my favorite scene in this movie was the scene in the boat where that guy's like, you're going to sing. Oh, so Mio. And then they like, that was the moment that I saw the most camaraderie in the entire uh, uh, platoon or whatever they're called. Like where the squad for squad, the squad. And it's literally just like, This this dude asks the Italian member of the squad, like, um, are you going to sing Oh So Mio? Like some sort of weird, like kind of like degrading thing to say to Italians. And they just open his mouth in front of everybody and they put the gun, like that guy's gun in his mouth and he starts singing Oh So Mio to his face. Do you not remember that? I, I do. Now that you mentioned it, I do remember that. And I do remember <laughs> being like, what the fuck am I watching right now? <laughs> I loved I loved that scene. That was really funny to me. It was, that was, yeah, funny. It was funny. And honestly, I think this is the only other film that I've ever seen Mark Hamill in besides live action, besides Star Wars or The Kingsman. He's in The Kingsman. He is in The Kingsman. What uh what is what is your thoughts then on on Mark Hamill as a as an actor outside of Star Wars? I thought he did pretty good. Yeah. I thought he did a good job. I was, I mean, you know, It wasn't a bad movie. It just felt like a movie, you know? Yeah, I agree. I thought just it was a so. movie. It, it doesn't hurt. It, does, it won't kill you to watch it. I mean, I if, feel you like, like, if, if you if like you're not, movies, if you're not a big movie person, you would no. hate it. You'd think it's boring as shit. But yeah. if you like movies, if you love war movies, there's no reason why you wouldn't like this. No, if you like war movies, you would like it. If you think, if you're not a big movie person, you would definitely think it's... Uh, boring piece of shit but at the same time that you would miss out on a lot of movies that you would think are boring pieces of shit if you weren't a movie person you know yeah. nobody would enjoy once upon a time in america or our next episode which is i can say ed wood Dude, if they're not movie people spoiled it. yeah well whatever next episode's ed wood people um yeah i don't know it's it's not a bad movie by any means i do think like i would love to and i'd love to hear your opinions on this i do want to try to take this season to see more directors maybe that we haven't seen or films that we haven't seen. That was the original idea with this, right? Like seeing like, mm -hmm. like I have two other pitches that I want to hear what you think. Um, either John Cassavetes, who I was told about three years ago, another filmmaker that I've never heard of before. And apparently he's great. John or Cassavetes. Yeah. Hmm. Or um the film with john travolta that convinced tarantino he should be in pulp fiction from the 80s what's it saturday night fever no <laughs> the dancing movie yeah i don't no. know no john travolta 80s that was grease that was the 70s <laughs> hairspray that was the 70s hairspray um, was 2007 No, it's a. Uh, What the cowboy? Let me see. Let me see. Let me see. Uh, Urban it, cowboy? No, my God. What? That's eighty. Nineteen eighty. No, um, domestic disturbance with him and Vince Vaughn. <laughs> What? <laughs> no, uh, blowout. Blowout's the film. Blowout. Blowout. Yeah. That's the one. Those would be my two pitches after Edward. Either Blowout or John Cassavetes. I think that that would be my main theme for the whole season. It's just a bunch of uh, movies we haven't seen before. Hmm. Interesting. I, I like the idea of Blowout. I mean, I'd, I'd do both. We have plenty of episodes to fill. Um, I was gonna. I was gonna suggest what if we did on the films that we watched that we didn't care for, like as much as we thought we would by these acclaimed directors. What if we did like retrospect episodes, like not rewatching the movie, but watching a different one, maybe one they're more known for, or that's more in their wheelhouse, like, you know, an older Benny Chan movie and an older Sam Fuller movie. And like later in the season, kind of going back to them and giving oh, them another. Spin. I love, I love that idea. And seeing like, did we just start off on the wrong foot? 
I love that idea. That's a good idea. I'd say that we should totally do that. So we do like how many episodes we got? We get 20 episodes. Yeah. So we sure. should talk, we should pick bye, like Lou. <laughs> he says bye. Um I think that it's a great idea that we would pick like because we want to do some interviews too, that we do some we do like five episodes. For the listener at home, my roommate just walked in and walked out. That was all the noise. Um, again, I live in the city. It's a low-budget podcast. Um, I would say that maybe like five to six episodes on directors or films that we haven't seen. And then like doing another six afterwards is great. And then having... Um, having <laughs> Brian, what the fuck did you just send me? The next Penny Chan movie we watched. Thongs and octopus accept the job from their landlord. Kidnap a baby. <laughs> Jackie Chan. <laughs> All right. All right. All right. We've talked a lot about this movie. Uh, Big Red One. It would be on the lower end of my list so far of like the movies that we watched this year. But I have to be honest with you. I think that we are kind of off to not the best start of our podcast because we are pretty much one for three that I've enjoyed. Yeah. The, like, but that's all going to change on the next episode. Yeah, yeah. Let's hope that's true. But I think at the end, all right, so I really like this idea. Maybe we do the whole season just watching movies we've never seen and no interviews. And then at the end, we have to like rank all of them. But um, yes, I love that idea. I love the idea of watching the like two from director Um I love the idea of watching that one, Benny. I would honestly, if we're going to do that one, we're doing that live like we did Titanic 2. We're watching that together. And Robin B. Hood, dude, the DVD cover is cracking me up. It's Jackie Chan holding a oh, baby I've, bottle. I, I've heard, I've heard that uh, about that movie. One big ransom, one small problem. How much, how many, what was the ratings on Bo Boy Gack? Bo Boy Gack. Gack. <laughs> boy boy gack walk it literally has no ratings it's free on prime now oh no shit all right yo idea idea and yeah. a definitely a definitely a good idea okay we're doing ed wood next ladies and gentlemen so that's the next episode you'll hear whenever that's in the sequence of when this one comes out i'm hoping this one will come out soon um after ed wood we do the bow by guy walk. you can just give it the english name robin b hood is that the english name it's the same movie yeah robin b hood yeah that's from 2006 i thought jackie chan was old when he did that nope 2006 all right he plays I th thongs i think i mean we could also if we didn't want to watch that he also did the new police story movie no, 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 I'm so down for Robin B. Hood. Octopus and Thong sounds like the greatest character names I've ever heard. It fact, sounds like a bad guy Richie movie. <laughs> <with those names. laughs> Emily Ann Zisco got nothing on Benny Chan and his names. I gotta <laughs> tell you that. That's unreal. I love you, Em. Uh, oh my God. Wait, hold up. I didn't even finish reading this log line. Soon the baby awakens <laughs> strong paternal feelings in the two crooks, leading the complications when it comes to handing him over to his possible crazy gang boss grandfather. What in the name of God? <laughs> I okay. love this movie already. All right. All right. So this is the idea. We've, <laughs> we've completely devolved. We did two episodes of actual critical analysis on films and now have devolved back into our old ways of let's just watch shit and talk about it. Okay. Hey, I think be good. All right. It's not going to be, bro. <laughs> it's not going to be good. 88% of Google users liked it. <laughs> okay. That's um, more than this movie we're talking about right now. Really? Mm -hmm. So stick that in your pipe and smoke it's it. Okay. <laughs> You sound like my family friends when, when they were like, like one of them's uh, trying to get healthier. So her her wife was like, "Stop eating Fruit Loops. You got to eat Raisin Bran." And then they like did research. They're like, "Actually, Raisin Bran has more sugar in it than Fruit Loops." That's what that sounds like to me right now. <laughs> You're like, actually, this movie has better Google ratings than the 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 
486th best film of all time, according to Empire. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay. Here's the idea. Here's the plan. Plan is we do Edward next. And then after that, it should line up with when I'm at your house for the concert for that weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that we should work our entire editing day. And then to celebrate at the end of the day, we watch that fucking movie in your like your game room with the mics with a bunch of beers and just like fucking watch it live like film ourselves do another filmed episode and absolutely that's that's a great idea right yeah yeah let's totally do that all right ladies and gentlemen whoever's listening to this shit show unfold with cats scratching and roommates past my cats howling and made it this far congratulations we'll uh we'll mail you um a letter that says you made it if you made it through cat scratching, pizza smells being but cooking, heard, <laughs> pizza, pizza, pizzas being cooked, roommates walking in, and even more difficult than that, the big red one, let's be honest, then get ready for next week and the week after, I guess I'd say. I'm so I'm so excited. I'm I'm excited for Ed Wood too. I'm not gonna lie. I I really do want to watch it. It's unfortunately just that Ozark literally came out today, and I was so hungover that I did literally I did nothing but just sit in bed and watch Ozark all day. Yeah, I'm excited to start it. It's good, man. It's fucking good. good. I'm also I'm also I'm also just excited for it to end. To be honest with you, any um all right, bring open this back in a little bit. Any finishing notes on big red one anything that we finishing notes um it's not a bad movie it's not a bad movie it's it's not the best movie it's not a movie i would go around telling people to watch i would say this is a movie for war people war well and that's a weird way to put it it's a movie for war buffs and war movie fanatics there's no reason why you wouldn't like it it doesn't portray war poorly it doesn't do anything bad it's got a good it's necessary it's good, just slow and it's, it's fine it's got a good message to it too like the idea of like it's actually got a message that's that you odd. should still stab a german if he's waving a, a white flag no <laughs> <laughs> that's one of the final scenes for the uh the listener i would say actually this this film does have one thing that i found interesting for me at least is lately, especially because of the war that's going on right now in the world. And I don't want to use our platform to talk about anything like that, but I've always really like when wars break out, something that's really weird or interesting to me is that in the most case by case basis, when governments set up wars to be fought. So not including militias, like when you fight the Taliban or when like, you know, during like the Viet Cong, like Vietnam, I think those, that's why those wars are so fucked up because they don't follow this rule. I'm about to say, is most of the time it's the leaders of a government telling you to go shoot people that arguably you got no problem with like an individual to an individual doesn't have an issue with that person so really like i know this isn't revolutionary but if you just really try to take yourself off of earth for a second and look down at it and look at that sort of weird politics that one person can have a problem with this another nation and then they can send people over to kill individuals who they have no issue with. Like individually, I don't have anything against any like, you know, person I've ever met, no matter where they're from. But if I was in World War II, I would have to go shoot people that are people, you know? And yeah, that goes back to towards the beginning when Griff couldn't couldn't snipe somebody and he was their sniper because he was afraid to he was afraid to kill. He was he called it murder. And their sergeant said, no, it's not murder. We're just killing the enemy. You know, yeah, yeah. So you, don't it takes an, a, you don't kill an animal. No, I agree. But right. it, it takes a certain mentality to be able to get behind like what you're saying, what your government's commanding you to do. Like you're looking, you're, you're actually viewing this random person as your enemy that you need to kill rather than another person that you are going to murder. It's just strange. I think what's um, what I'm saying is not revolutionary, but I think what's really strange about it is most of the case, most case scenarios I hear from soldiers in movies, like it's kill or be killed. So they almost do it out of necessity because they know that the enemy won't lay down their arms. But in reality, this story about World War One that always stuck with me was that 
I don't know if you've heard it. It's like that infamous story where the soldiers in the trenches, it was Christmas Eve and they, they came out from the trenches and literally had like a little party together and mm-hmm. like they stopped fighting. Yeah. And it was just because if there was a mutual acknowledgement on both sides that I don't want to die, you don't want to die. And individually, I don't have a problem with you. You know, it then you can see that people can just be people. You know, it's governments telling them they have to fight. Nothing is more apparent. No other war is more apparent that does that than World War One for me. Like World War Two is a different situation. But that's essentially Griff's point. And towards the end of the movie, kind of the point is like they have more in common with the soldiers, the German soldiers that survived because they survived a war. And individually, unless they were the soldiers like at the camps, which is the only time Griff kills when he sees the true horrors of the soldiers who are committing atrocities, then arguably you're just a person who was forced to go fucking fight people that you didn't necessarily have a problem with. And mm-hmm. I don't know, I, I like the message that the movie was portraying, you know, yeah, just it agreed. took a long time to get to it. Um, movie had heart. Yeah. I'm glad, to, I'm glad I saw it. Now I can say I've seen a Sam Fuller film. Nice light change. Thank you. It was getting a little too red. It's getting a real big red one on my end. Uh, did you, you saw, uh, Ed Wood already. Are you, are you excited to talk about it? I am. And so then I good, did, right? I did extra research and watched some Ed Wood films myself. And I'm honestly more excited to talk about those personally, but well, both then- are great. I, I'm hoping we get a chance to record it this weekend. I'll be in quiet old Connecticut by myself, so we can we can get some really nice uh, recording. But I'm going to let you lead that one. I, I'm such a talker. I tend to talk so much during these podcasts. I, I want to hear more of your opinion. Your choice, your movie, you tell me all about it. Yeah. Oh, I will. All right, brother. Well, this was fun. I'm glad that we, uh, I'm glad we finally did it. It's been a while. I know. Me too. Just so much going on. We were filming. Now we're not. So we're doing this. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, Other wanna... things happened. Life happened. I almost want to do this on a weekly basis. I love it. When you actually sit down and do it, it's just the best. It's yeah. nice. Yeah. Later, when Brian and I can get paid for our efforts. Not, not this podcast. This podcast, I will always keep unpaid. It's just fun. <laughs> yeah. I I'd, I'd welcome a sponsor. I'd like to just be sponsored by something super random, like a, you know, a company that makes USB, USC adapters. I want to be sponsored by Manhood because it's just the most ridiculous company I've ever heard of. Manhood? Yeah. So a kid in college that I knew used to wear a little sack on his dick because he was circumcised and he didn't want to be. So he would wear this... Uh, I think he called it a cock sack. It was literally, <laughs> it looked like. You got a nut sack and I got a cock sack. It looked like, it looked like one of those like, like uh, fabric glasses holders. Like the ones with the little zip tie at the, at like, you know, that, that you could tighten on one side. Look like a little coin purse. I, I have one. I'll show you. Not a, co- Wait, not what? a, co- I don't have, I don't know. I have one with coins in it, you know? Uh, oh, <laughs> you yeah, want sure. So, so you he, bought a manhood just for coins. No, so it was like sure, it was sure. like it was like it was literally this big and it was squared. It, it essentially think of like a dime bag, but a sack that you would put over your dick. And it was called a cock, a, a cock sheath. That's what it was called, a cock sheath. <laughs> <laughs> and the company was called Manhood because it was a manhood. Clever. I loved it. I'd love to be, I'd love to be sponsored by them. Actually, have you ever pulled down your pants and said, Yowza, what's that? <laughs> well, no, you know why you did it, right? No, I don't know this man. How no, would you I know, know? You know, you know why people wear that stuff, right? No. Tune in next week to find out. Oh. Yeah, tune in next episode to find out. I don't know if it'll be next week. Uh roll the credits. Do you want to know what he ended up doing with it? Because he doesn't wear it anymore. Uh, threw it away, I hope. In the most spectacular fashion. <laughs> like whip, like what? Did he like thrust his hips and then it shot off his penis and fell in the trash? Do or did he get lost to... in a woman? Do you want to know? <laughs> lost in a woman? That's so wrong. <laughs> well, I don't know why you wear it. Like what, what's the benefit? You got to tune in the next episode to find out. <laughs> Actually, you, I am serious. Can we interview the creator of Manhood? <laughs> <laughs> We're on such a bad tangent. <laughs> 
it's such a bad tangent. Actually, I'm seriously not going to tell you why you wear it until next episode. So you have to. You, you have, have to, a bad memory. You won't remember. Yeah, but you will. So you have to ask me. I might not remember. But. We're recording it in two days. Oh, that's fair. Um, do you want to know how we threw it away? Yeah, I need to know. Tune in for the next episode. <laughs> if you ask me those two questions next time, if you say, I can't say his name, can we bleep out his name or should we just not even deal with bleeps? Yeah, but we're not going to remember to do that. You're totally right. I'm not going to say his name. Just just ask me, kid in college, cocksheath. If you can remember that, kid in college, cocksheath. So it's like, a, you imagine being an actor on set, kid in college, cocksheath, kid in college, cocksheath, <laughs> tiny little tinker. What? <laughs> Oh man. All right. Talk about a big red one. Oh God. And wow. scene. That's Thank you all bite. for tuning in. That's uh, tune bite. in next week to learn more about manhood. And Luis is back. Perfect timing. Are you recording? Yeah. All right, brother. I'll talk can to you I, later. Can I, can I get on the podcast with my rant about these guys? Can I, can I, can I next oh, next well, step, tune no, in next, next week for Luis's rant. <laughs> tune in next and... week for Luis's rant. All right. <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs>